There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, we just um, finished our prayer and we are in the book of Daniel, which is a, a book of uh, history for six chapters and prophecy for six chapters. Um, we're going to pretty much review. We'll get some new stuff going tonight, but we're going to pretty much review what we did last time, which is um, Daniel 9. And mainly Daniel is Daniel 9 is mostly his prayer for his people, Israel. They've headed back to, to their homeland after being uh, uh, in bondage for 70 years under the Babylonians and now the Persians. But he's very depressed and sad because not many are going back. He hears reports that they're having trouble there, that their city of Jerusalem and the temple is still in ruins. So there's much that he's praying about very humbly for his people. As he's doing so, we get to verse number 24. And while he's speaking, uh, verse 20 says, um, an angel shows up, Gabriel. So Gabriel gives him a prophecy that spans human history from that time to the end of the world. It's considered the greatest prophecy in the whole Bible. I think it's that as well. Sir Isaac Newton said you could stake the whole truth of the Bible on this one four-verse prophecy, verses 24, 25, 26, 27. Um, so in verse 22, he says, I've Come to give you insight and understanding. Verse 23 of Daniel 9. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Consider the word and understand the vision. He wants Daniel to get it. He wants you and I to get it. A lot of this prophecy is um, easy to understand when we take it apart. There are disagreements among scholars. I'll tell you what those are as we go. Tonight, my goal is to go through this again as a way of review and then to go through the end times with you. There's a diagram I'm gonna put up on behind the screen here that looks kind of hokey. I'll do it as a background on Zoom, but it's better than nothing. I have an even worse document here that's a big uh, diagram that sort of goes through, I wanna go through the um, definition of terms. We all know what the cross of Jesus Christ is, that he rose from the dead. His triumphal entry was about a week before that on Palm Sunday when he rides in on a donkey. The end times terms that we're going to talk about are tribulation, a seven-year tribulation. We're also going to talk about the rapture and what that is. Uh, we're going to talk about the apostasy that happens before the tribulation. Um, a falling away. Many who we thought were Christians are going to abandon the faith. Uh, we're also going to talk about a character called the Antichrist, Revelation 13, and 2 Thessalonians talks about him. We're going to talk about the, a one-world government during that seven-year period of tribulation right before the end of the world. Then we'll talk about the second coming and what that is of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium. And unfortunately, there's four pretty diverse views about the millennium. One view takes it as a millennium, thousand years. Okay, that's the camp I fall in. But there are others that see it as symbolic and not a literal thousand years. It just means a long period of time. We'll get into that. So anyway, those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, say amen. And that was kind of wimpy. Say amen. Okay, that was good. Almost get us sound a little angry to wake yourselves up, right? Okay, so here comes the vision, uh, the prophecy. Verse 24 of Daniel 9, 70 sevens are decreed 
for your people and your holy city to do six things, if you notice. Here they are. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. That's six things that are going to be um, and they're pretty huge, right? The whole problem on planet Earth is sin. The first three of those things have to do with end, finish, transgression. That's a synonym, another word that means sin. To put an end to sin. And then the third one, to atone for wickedness, to pay for wickedness. Okay, let's take these apart. But first, let's talk about 77s. Last week we said, if I said to you, I haven't seen you, Jeff, in three decades. Nobody would ask, well, how long has it been? You know, a decade is 10 years. Three times 10 is 30. Ten, a 10-year period is a decade, okay? That's not what we're dealing with here. Seven is the perfect number of God. We're dealing with sevens, 70 periods of seven years, seven years, seven years. Got the picture? 70 times seven is 490 years. It turns out 69 of the 70 come together like this. And then there's a huge gap, I'll show you. And then the 70th year, a 70th seven-year period is the Great Tribulation. Okay, so 77s, he says, are decreed for your people, that's the Jews, and your holy city, that's Jerusalem, to, here we go, finish transgression. Transgression is sin, breaking God's law. Has sin been finished? No, right? I mean, you could say there's a sense in which it has because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. But if you look around your world today, is there still sin? There is. So that's still future. Jesus has paid the price, but we're still future on the full uh, fulfillment of that. Number two, to put an end to sin. Has that one happened? No, sin is continuing. By the way, in heaven, no more sin. The eternal state. We'll talk about that 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 idea too. Um, and sin will be transgression will be finished in heaven when Christ reigns, and sin will be completely ended. Okay, third one to atone for wickedness, to pay for wickedness. Now that one's been done on the cross two thousand years ago. Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus Christ was both God and man. God in a man's body, fully God, fully man. He lived the perfect life you could never live. He never sinned, the life you were supposed to live, and so was I. And he died the horrible death and got, took the punishment you and I deserve on the cross. He rose from the dead. He did, number three, atone for wickedness. I'll show you where that is in these verses. Let's keep going. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Righteousness is perfection, no, no sin, total God's will, 100%. Now, is that happening now on planet earth? Not really, okay? There are people that say, well, that's here in a sense for believers. We have everlasting righteousness. But if you read your Bible, 1 John 1, 9 says we all still sin, right? And we ask for forgiveness. Okay, so that one's still future. Um, to seal up vision and prophecy. That has the idea of finishing it. No more. In heaven, how many know this? There won't be any prophets. There won't be any more prophecy. Thus saith the Lord, this is coming in the future. 
We won't need that. We'll have God with us. You can ask him, right? So it has the idea of an end to prophecy and visions and the completion or fulfillment of all prophecy. Has that happened? No, because one of the prophecies, the biggest one in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, hasn't happened yet, right? Okay, and um, to anoint the most holy place, okay? Um, in the Hebrew, it says anoint the most holy, um, which has led some people to believe it means a holy person. It could be Jesus. Most scholars think it means a place, the way the words are. The most holy place for Jews would be the temple of God. Has that happened? No, there's no temple. Hasn't been a temple since 70 AD in Jerusalem because we don't need one. Our bodies are the temple. Jesus Christ is the high priest. He fulfills all the Old Testament law. But in the future, many believe there will be a rebuilt temple. We'll talk about that when we get to the end times a little more. Okay, so that's verse 24. He's saying there's a 49, uh, I'm sorry, 490 year period, 70 periods of seven years to accomplish all these things. This is good news for Daniel because he didn't know, was it ever going to happen? Now we've got a time frame, but 490 years are just floating in space. By that, I mean, we're going to need a start time, right? Once we have the start time, then we can start figuring it out. Here comes the start time. Verse 25, know and understand this. You know what that means? That means this is understandable. We can get it. From the time the decree or the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, some leader is going to give an order. Okay, Jerusalem's in ruins, the temple's in ruins, which it was at the time Daniel's writing this, at the time he got the vision. Some leader is going to say, okay, you Jews can go home and start rebuilding your temple and the city, both. From the time that happens, and by the way, historically, we know within a year when that happened. I'll get to that. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. This is the only place, folks, in the whole Bible, Old Testament, sorry, where the word Messiah appears. Anointed one is Messiah. Uh, Mashiach in Hebrew, Mashiach Nagid, Messiah, the prince, son of God. And so from the time that order is given, which by the way, it turns out scholars, historians say it was either 444 BC or 445 BC. There's people that argue for either one of those. It's in Nehemiah uh, chapter two, by the way, from that time, that order goes out when he says, okay, you can go until the Messiah, the ruler comes or the prince. When, when Jesus shows up, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. You say, well, that's seven and 62. That's 69 sevens. Correct. Why separate them six, seven and 62? Because seven times seven is 49, and for 49 years, the Jews had a very hard time getting the debris out and starting the rebuilding. They were per persecuted. It was not a cakewalk for them. That's why they're separated. But think in terms of 69 times seven, okay? 69 times seven is 483 uh, years. Seven times 69. How many are totally lost now? Perfect. Okay. <laughs> One, okay, I am too. 69 
periods of seven years, 69 of those seven year periods, 483 years from 445 BC, we should be able to count forward to the day and come up with when the Messiah shows up. So the question arises, wait, do you mean when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? No. Do you mean when he was baptized or when he was healing people and raising the dead? No. Why not? Because how many times have you read in the Gospels, he heals a leper, he heals a blind man, and he says, don't tell anybody. I know that you're the Messiah. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Then suddenly, about five days before he's killed on Palm Sunday, he does just the opposite. He arranges with the donkey riding into Jerusalem, uh, showing the Jews that he's the king. How do you know that, Joe? Because in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Behold, your king comes to you humble, riding on a donkey. And the Jews weren't dumb. They got it. They had heard he was a healer. He was a prophet. He was maybe the Messiah. Here he comes riding in on a donkey. And people are praising him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some people get it. He's Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah, same thing. Christos in Greek, Mashiach in Hebrew, they both mean Christ, Messiah. He rides in and shows, here I am. And the Pharisees say, hey, shut your disciples up. They're calling you the Messiah. Now shut them up. And he says, even if they're quiet, the very stones are going to cry out. All of creation knows who I am. He shows himself on that day. I'm going to show you, try at least, that 69 times 7, 483 years, you come to Palm Sunday exactly. So Robert Anderson was the head of Scotland Yard, a brilliant man um, who researched for several years this whole idea, history. He went to astronomers to find out, well, how many milliseconds of each year, because it's not exactly 365 days in a year. What about leap years? He accounted for that. So he did the math and it was close, but it was wrong. So he went back and calculated again and researched more and found out that the Jews count years 360 days, not 365. Change the math, get out the calculator again, this is early 1900s. He didn't have a calculator, but he long division and multiplication. He figures it out, okay? And he's a year off. Then he remembers from 1 BC to 1 AD, there's no year zero. So you got to subtract a year. And he comes exactly to 32 uh, AD. Now, there's other scholars that have done the math and have come to 30 AD. But the point is, this says, in that time, Messiah is going to show up. The question is, class, did anybody else show up at that time that fits the description of the Messiah? Born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, betrayed for, by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. They pierced his hands and his feet. No bones were broken. He rose from the dead. Does anybody else fit that resume? The answer is, of course, no. He's, Jesus is the only one. Okay, um, verse 25 um, let's see, 77s and 62 sevens, more information in verse 25, it will be rebuilt, that's Jerusalem, with streets and a trench or a moat, but in times of 
trouble. Remember, I told you the first 49 years they encountered great trouble rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. After verse 26, after the 62 sevens, meaning the seven and the 62, he really means after the 69, after Jesus shows up, which was when class? Palm Sunday, right? He dies on Friday, five days later. After that, doesn't say how long, turns out it was five days. After the 62 sevens, the Messiah, the anointed one, will be literally in the Greek, it's karat, which means cut off. It's a way of saying in Hebrew, killed. Okay, so this is shocking for the Jews. Oh, this is when Messiah will come. And then what? He'll be cut off. He'll be killed. Is this the way it happened? After the 69 times 7, 483 years? Yes, five days later, he's killed. And will have nothing, that verse says. So what does that mean? Well, did he have a will with a bunch of properties and his trust? And a, he had nothing. Well, at least he had his family. No, they didn't believe in him. Well, at least he had his disciples. They all deserted him. Well, at least he had that seamless robe. No, they took that off him. How many know that when they crucified people, the Romans intended it to be not only excruciating pain, but extreme shame. So they would crucify people. If you're Catholic, like I grew up Catholic, you've seen Jesus on the cross with a nice little white loincloth. You ever see that? Not true. They crucified people, sorry, naked, completely naked as a way of absolute shame. So if you're thinking about betraying the Roman government or breaking a law, you'd walk by, they always did it on a road where there was a lot of people and see the pain and the shame and go, I'm not crossing the government here, boy. They, they really are serious about their capital punishment. They crucified him naked. Um, let's see. Uh, and have nothing. So he had nothing, literally not even clothing. Amen. Or at least it appears he has nothing. It's That's an ironic thing. And the reason is because he's the God of the universe who owns what? He owns everything, right? A little bit of irony. The people, verse 26, middle of the verse, the people of the ruler who will come. Is this the Messiah? No, this is a future prince ruler who will come in the future. It turns out this is about the fourth time we've been introduced to this guy in Daniel, the Antichrist, a coming world leader empowered by and dwelt by Satan, okay, who will rule not just a country, not just a, a, a continent, the whole world. Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, if you want to chase that down, but don't do it now. Um, I'm watching. Okay. Uh, the people of the ruler who will come, okay, so you got to think about this, that ruler that's still future, his people are going to do something, meaning his nationality, okay? If he was Irish, it would be the people of Ireland are going to do this. Turns out he's from the Roman Empire. Does that mean he's Italian? Maybe. Or just that area where Rome, the Roman Empire was, you know, around the Mediterranean, Europe and um, even Northern Africa and a little bit to the East as well. The people, his people of the ruler who will come, will in the future destroy the city and the sanctuary. The Jews must have been tearing their hair out at this. They're getting the temple rebuilt. And some people are going to come and destroy the city and the temple. You say, boy, that sounds like God is punishing Israel. Amen. 
What we just read happened in 70 AD. So if you want to know who are the people of the coming Antichrist who destroyed the temple in 70 AD, uh, a leader named Titus Vespasian, I think it is, who was the Roman emperor. The Roman Empire came. There was a rebellion the Jews did against Rome. They had had it with Roman um, government overtaking their country. And the Jews um, rebelled and lost, basically. And the few people have to leave for a meeting. No worries. Um, the Romans came, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. They even took it stone from stone. Remember, Jesus predicted that. Um, the question is why? And the answer is, for centuries, God had predicted through the prophets, there's a coming figure called the Messiah. He will save his people from their sins. Read Isaiah 53 when you go home. Read Psalm 22 when you go home. He'll be pierced in his hands and his feet, born of a virgin, all those things I already mentioned. He'll rise from the dead. He will be your Messiah. Guess what? He rode into Jerusalem. Some people believed in him, but five days later, most people shouted, crucify him, right? They, the Jews, for the most part, as a nation said, no thanks, we won't have this man rule over us. That is the ultimate sin, folks. Not only for the Jews, but for any human being you know. <clears throat> I don't care if they've robbed banks, if they've killed people, that's all sin, I get it. But there's no sin worse than saying, no thanks, I don't want Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way for your sins to be paid for. You and I can't pay on our own. So they did that. What was the temple? The temple was the place the Jews came to pray to their God. Jesus instructed them to pray through me, meaning him, not me. Through him, right? Pray in my name. Remember all that? Jesus was the real, Hebrew says, the real high priest. No need for a high priest, no need for a temple. The main thing the temple was, was a place of sacrifice for sin, the shedding of blood of lambs every year, Passover, bring your lamb up for your family, we'll slay the lamb, sprinkle the blood, do all that. Jesus was what? What did John the Baptist call him? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no more need for lambs, sacrifice, high priest. And all of that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Their punishment is no temple. By the way, that was 70 AD. We're in 2021 right now. They still don't have a temple. You were almost to 2,000 years of Judaism with no temple, no high priest, no sacrifice for sin because their Messiah came and they missed it. But in the end, during that seven-year tribulation, God is judging the world and them, but many of them will come to faith in the real Jesus, according to Zechariah. Okay, back to Daniel chapter 9. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, the people of the ruler who will come. So we know the Antichrist is going to come from some sort of a revived Roman Empire. Those people will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What do you know? He was right. They did it. They also um, killed the Messiah, just like he predicted. The, the end, I'm still in verse 26, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. By the way, if you're in the room and you don't have a Bible, there's a few at the back next to the guy in the orange shirt. 
Um, okay, what does that mean? Like a flood. Does he mean water? No. The historians that wrote at the time that Jerusalem was invaded in 70 AD said it was like a flood of soldiers. They surrounded the whole city and took it over. That's the flood. And war will continue until the end. And it has. Desolations have been decreed. It was an abomination and a desolation that they came into the temple and lit it on fire. That's the reason they took it apart stone by stone. You've probably already heard this. They lit it on fire and it burned and it was still standing. Then they saw all the gold had melted between the rocks. And they asked the commander, can we take the rocks down to get the gold out? And he said, yeah, go ahead. So they took it apart stone by stone. Remember, Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. Lucky guess? No, he's the prophet of God, right? He's the son of God. Okay, verse 27. He, you see that? You say, wait, who's he? Got to go back. The people of the ruler who will come, Antichrist. Okay, verse 27. He, now this is in the future. This is the 70th seven. We got the 69 sevens, 483 years, right? Um, oh, I should put my little diagram up uh, behind me. I'll wait and do it when we get to the end times thing. Okay, there's a gap between the 69th seven-year period and the 70th, which is the great tribulation. That's when Antichrist shows up in that great, it's part of what makes it a great tribulation, a time of, Jesus coined that term, by the way, Matthew 24. Okay, he, Antichrist, will make a deal. That's what verse 27 says. He'll confirm a covenant with many, with the Jews, for one seven, one more seven-year period. Remember the decades? I haven't seen him for three decades. One more seven, a seven-year period. The worst period of suffering in human history, it's called in the Bible. Jesus Christ calls it. And the truth is the first half is not nearly as bad as the second half. So he's going to make a deal with the Jews. Sure, you can rebuild your temple. You can sacrifice again. You can do offerings. But in midway, he breaks his deal. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering because he's indwelt by Satan. And Satan, write this down, doesn't like it if you worship the real God. He doesn't care if you worship anything else. Some people think Satan wants Satan worship. Yeah, he might. But he's happy if you worship Allah, or you worship one of the 330 million Hindu gods, or you worship chairs, or you worship totem poles, or you worship rocks and bears and gold and silver and money and sex and power and drugs. Anything except God and Jesus Christ, Satan's like, go for it. Worship. Worship on. But they're there trying to worship the Jewish God, and he stops it in the middle and does the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus says it. He says it here. What's that? That's where he walks in the temple, stops all sacrifice, all prayer, all offerings, and says, from now on, I, Antichrist, the beast, Revelation 13, am the one that's supposed to get all the worship. Bow down to me. That's the abomination that causes desolation. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The end that's decreed that's poured out on him is, Jesus, he seems invincible. The Antichrist, when we talk about end times, I'll explain. He's a charismatic, amazing, brilliant, um, military genius politician. Okay. He's going to solve the world's problems. You're going to know because you have the Holy Spirit. This guy's evil. 
Your friends that aren't saved are going to think, what? You don't like him? He's, he's the best leader the world's ever known. I'm willing to worship him. Not me. Not you. Right? Okay. At the end, what stops him is Jesus Christ's second coming. Because Jesus Christ shows up and says, this is my world, not yours. He destroys him, destroys the false prophet. That's Revelation 13. I won't get into that now. Um, there's sort of an unholy trinity, the, de the devil, which is the dragon in Revelation, false prophet, and the antichrist or the beast. He destroys him until that end is poured out on him. That's the prophecy. I want you to notice a couple things about it. The, the, let's go back even before this. Let's just for a second talk about the prophecies. You've heard me mention twice now. The Messiah comes the first time to die for the sins of the world. There are all kinds of prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures that were written hundreds of years before he showed up. I want you to notice, this is important. Say amen. amen. I want you to notice that they all came true literally. Not figuratively, not symbolic. Listen, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now, what does that symbolize? It means he's born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. Okay, what does that mean? It means he was born of a virgin. They pierced his hands and his feet. None of his bones were broken. Betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, and the money was used to buy a potter's field after it was thrown into the temple. Was that symbolic? No. To me and many scholars, there's no reason to take the rest of this anyway except literally. Now let's move on. Daniel 9, 483 years until, from the orders given till Messiah shows up. Was that symbolic? No. Was he cut off right after that? Yes. Did, the, did the, some ruler of an empire come and destroy the temple and the sanctuary? Was that symbolic? No. A lot of the theories I'm about to tell you about the end times are make everything symbolic. Well, that doesn't mean a thousand years. It means personally, that's inconsistent, that you can pick and choose. Those things are literal. Those things are symbolic. Truly, in some ways, some things are symbolic. Jesus says, I am the door, right? Doesn't mean he's got hinges here and here, right? and a doorknob where his belly button should be, he means I'm the way in, right? I'm the good shepherd. Well, did he have she sheep? No, he means shepherd in the spiritual sense. But this prophecy, to be consistent, I think it should be literal. That's why, uh, well, we'll get to that. In any case, let's go through, um, yeah, we already talked about that. Other names for the Messiah, Old Testament. The ruler of Israel, the one shepherd, Emmanuel, God with us, the seed of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the chosen one, the prince of peace, uh, the root of Jesse, Shiloh, the righteous branch, and of course, Messiah, uh, the anointed one. Okay, now let's define our terms because nowadays everybody's asking, boy, things are getting heavy on planet Earth. Is this the end times? You know what I say? We're closer than we've ever been. That's a cop-out, man. I don't know. Things are starting to line up, but we're a ways off. How do you know that, Joe? There's no one world government. There's no one ruler that's solving all the problems who 
you know, is doing all the other things he's supposed to do. Okay, let's define our terms. Um, let me put this up on Zoom. Hold on one second. I sure hope this works. Okay, I'm going to go there. Talk amongst yourselves here. The host doesn't know what he's doing. Okay, backgrounds. Last week, I made this little background and put it, there it is. Okay, so it's going to be behind me and it's going to look a little hokey, but it's the same timeline that these people are seeing on this diagram. Those of you on Zoom, can you see it? Wave if you can see it. Is the lettering, Tom, I see you. Is the lettering readable or is it backwards? It's readable. Okay, cool. Um, you see on the one side over here, um, the same thing that's over there, which is, um, this is a timeline. Way over to that side would be creation. Okay, way at the beginning. You with me? Now we're coming forward, Jewish history, Moses, David, all that. Now we come to either 444 or 445 BC. Now we're going to count forward 483 years. Remember we talked about that? 360 day years. We count forward. We come to, I'm getting out of the way for the Zoom people. We come to the triumphal entry. Okay. Right around 30, 32 AD. Um, let's see, in the spring, Passover, that's when he dies. Then right next to that, you see the cross, right? Five days later. Now to the right of the cross, I got to point the other way. Everything's backwards for me. You see that blue area? That's the church age. Obviously, the resurrection's in there. Jesus rises from the dead. In 70 AD, 40 years later, roughly, 40 is the number of judgment in the Bible, by the way. The Romans come, do just what we just read in Daniel. They take the temple down, take Israel, and scatter the Jews. 1948 is when they got their land back. Um, okay, so now we're moving forward in the timeline. You see the, the blue church age. That's where we are now. Well, when does the seven-year tribulation start? I don't know. Okay, if you came here hoping to hear no man knows the day of the hour, so because I'm a man, I don't know. Um, but at some point, the next thing in the timeline, uh, 70, uh, from 70 AD, from the time of, of uh, Jesus Christ, is the Great Tribulation. Obviously, especially for those of you online, as well as here, it's not to scale, right? 2,000 years of church history have passed, right? The church age that we're in. He's saving the Gentiles, but he's forgotten the Jews. No, he's going to deal with the Jews again in those seven year, that seven year tribulation. It's called elsewhere, the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob was the, Israel was his other name, right? Okay. So what happens right before the great tribulation? Something called the apostasy. Okay, we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about this. Um, in fact, let's go there now. Grab your Bible and go to Second Thessalonians. So take a long right. You're going way into the New Testament. And there's a, a cluster of books that all start with a T. If you come to Timothy, first or second Timothy, you went too far. Second Thessalonians. Um, let's see. So he's going to talk. Paul's going to talk about. Um, the end times to the Thessalonians. And we're going to cover in this passage the rapture, among other places, the second coming, and the Antichrist. But I'm going to show you the apostasy that has to come. It's the only time marker we have right before 
everything hits the fan, so to speak. Pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, second coming, and our being gathered to him, rapture. Notice the order, kind of interesting. Uh, we'll come to that later. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Another name for the tribulation is the day of the Lord. Okay, a time of great judgment and wrath from God. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, verse 3. That day, what day? The day of the Lord, the great tribulation. That day won't come until, stop right there. You know what that tells you? People that say, you know, it could happen at any minute are wrong. Or unless Paul's wrong, Paul says it won't happen until something happens. The rebellion occurs. That's the word apostasia in Greek. It means apostasy. It means falling away. It means people that were such good Christians, or at least you thought they were. They were always in church, working at the church, teaching Bible study. Pastors who suddenly go, eh, I don't believe anymore. I'm out. Maybe because of pressure, persecution. I don't know why, but they fall away. Biblically, I would make you the case, if, but that's a whole other discussion. They were never really saved. 1 John chapter 2, 1920 says, people that go out like that were never really truly of us. They acted like it. They sounded like it. Like weeds and tares that look, uh, uh, sorry, tares and wheat that look similar, they were never really saved. A huge apostasy. Are we, somebody asked me tonight before we started, are we seeing that now? Kind of. I even think it'll be bigger than what we're seeing now. There's all kinds of false teaching on Christian television and radio, in churches. Crazy stuff is being preached. Uh, thank God for your church if it's a biblical church, by the way. Okay, so let's keep reading. That day won't come until the rebellion occurs. And what else? The man of lawlessness, one of the titles for the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. This is the Antichrist. Tell us about him, Paul. What's on his resume? Verse four, he will oppose and exalt himself over, notice everything that's called God, Hindu gods, Buddhist gods, you know, um, Muslim gods, Jehovah's Witness gods, Mormon gods, everything that's called God, he's opposed to, or anything that's worshiped so that he, the Antichrist, I'm still in verse four, sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the definition of blasphemy, folks. In Revelation 13, I'll show you in a minute, Antichrist has a fake resurrection, okay? He has a fatal head wound. We said last week, how bad is a fatal head wound? It's fatal. Hello? Dead. And he comes back to life. And that's all it takes. People go, that's it. We believe in him. But I'll show you why else people believe in him. Number one, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Don't you remember verse five when I was with you? I used to tell you these things. Now you know what's holding him back. Verse five, that's the... Um, God, the Holy Spirit, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. We're not there yet. We could be close. It could be 800 years from now. I don't know. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. There's already sin and evil in the world. 
but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's, till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow, overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. He's no match for Jesus. When Jesus shows up, there's the battle of Armageddon, which if you read Revelation 19, it's no battle. He just comes and takes over. Okay. Tell us more about the Antichrist, Paul. Verse 9, the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. Did you hear that? If you were a world leader who could solve problems, take over the world, and perform miracles, don't you know unbelievers would go, what more proof do we need? Okay. Um, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. <clears throat> they perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they'll believe the lie. Okay, um, go to, so we're defining terms. That's the great tribulation. It's a time when there's two things going on. Number one, the Antichrist is persecuting Christians and Jews. Okay, everybody else thinks he's great. The Antichrist, I'll show you in a second when we get there, um, has a way of controlling all commerce, all business, all money on the planet. And you can't participate if you don't have a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. Okay? For centuries, millennia, people have looked at that and said there's no way to control commerce with a number. Now there is. Right? Chips, phones, come on. If you, um, there's a lot of places you can go where if you lose your wallet and your credit cards and your license, even if you have cash, there's places where you can't do much of anything, right? We need an ID, I'm sorry. We don't take cash here, credit cards. Problem with credit cards and cash is they can be stolen. You can't steal my hand, you can't steal my forehead. It's a great system in the hands of an evil man, right? Um, we'll get to that in a second. So let me just think about the tribulation. Some people say that the rapture, God snatching believers out of the earth, happens before the tribulation. I hope they're right. I don't think so. But I hope they're right. Because then you and I wouldn't see Antichrist. We wouldn't see any of this tribulation. But then the question arises, why warn people about an antichrist and a tribulation and persecution that we're not even going to see. I won't go into all that. I've done the whole pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Okay, but there is a rapture. God takes his believers suddenly out of the earth. The dead ones go first. They rise out of the grave and are resurrected with a whole new type of body that can't die or get sick or sin. And then we, if we're alive at that time, instantly are changed. We go right up to meet the Lord in the air. The question is, when does that occur? The rapture. Um, you're in 2 Thessalonians, go to 1 Thessalonians. Um, one book to the left, as they say. Uh, let's see, where do we want to start? I think we want to start uh, mm -hmm. verse 13 of chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and then we're going to take our two-minute break. Actually, you know what? Let's take our two-minute break now just to wake you up. Um, we're going to take our two-minute break. I'm going to turn my screen off, and 
just a chance to stretch your aging bodies. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. All right, find, find your seats, if you will. Um, I'm going to give you a second to get seated. There's a few people still up there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we need to talk about the rapture, but then remind me if I forget because I'm old. Uh, we need to talk about the Antichrist in Revelation 13. I want to show you that real quickly. I'm trying to do all this in one night's time here by way of review. Okay, so back in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning Christians who died, or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do we believe that, class? Amen. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Every believer that has died, their spirit and soul is in heaven. Their bodies in the earth or been burned up or eaten by sharks or whatever, you know. But they, the real them is in heaven. When Christ returns, he's bringing them with him back to meet the bodies that are going to come out of the grave and the hand will go back in the glove. In other words, the soul and spirit will go back into the body, but it won't be the same old decrepit body that can yawn or fall asleep. It'll be the body that is resurrected to newness of life that will never get sick, never uh, die. Okay, he'll bring with um, those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we are still alive left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those. We won't go before the ones that have died. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise out of the graves. Can you believe it? I hope I'm at a cemetery if I'm alive. Can you imagine? Wow. Okay. Um, after that, we who are still alive, will be left and our left will be caught up to together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Um, it'll come like a thief in the night. Chapter five says, um, but we're not in darkness that that day will escape, but will surprise us like a thief. Um, do we want to go there? No, let's go to revelation 13 before I forget. So last book of the Bible, chapter 13, pretty much the Antichrist chapter. That's what it's about more than anything else, unfortunately. He's called a beast, much like the other emperors and leaders were of other empires in the book of Daniel over and over. We've seen that. The dragon, that's the devil, verse one, stood on the shore of the sea. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, 10 horns, seven heads, meaning extreme, complete um, knowledge. Uh, horns are power, heads are... Um, our uh, uh, intelligence and wisdom. Uh, let's see. He resembled a leopard, had feet like a bear, mouth like a lion. You'd have to, we'd have to go back in Daniel to explain all those, but he's a little like all the other kingdoms that have come before in the book of Daniel, Medo-Persia, Greece, um, Babylonia, and Rome. Um, the dragon, that's the devil, gave the beast his power and his throne. Who did? The devil gave him his power. Verse three, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Fake resurrection. I can hear him saying, you believe in Jesus who rose from the dead? Who do you think I am? 
right? Look, I did it again. I rose from the dead. Men, verse 4, worshiped the dragon because he, that's the devil. He had given the authority to the beast, and also they worshiped the beast, and they asked, who's like the beast? Who can wage war or make war against him? He's given a mouth to or utter proud words, blasphemies, and to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years, right? 36 months would be three years. That's the second half of the tribulation. That's when he really um, takes over in a bad way. He blasphemes God, slanders his name, verse 6, and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Given power to make war, verse 7, against the saints. How many know that there's in Pentecostal, not Pentecostal, but Southern churches, there's preachers that say there's only two kinds of people, saints and ain'ts. Saints are people that believe. That's all the word saints mean. I was raised Catholic to think saint. Oh, he's a saint. It means a believer, right? right? A one that's been called. You're all saints. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but that's what the word means. Who is he persecuting? The saints. If the, if the rapture already occurred, why are we still here? Why are we being warned about somebody we'll never see? Okay, he's going to make war against the saints and conquer them. Does that mean we could die? It does. I'll show you that in a second. Given authority over, yeah, what, what area is the authority given authority over? Every tribe, people, language, nation. This is not a territorial, he's got South America and part of Central, the whole world, folks. Nobody's ever done it. All the inhabitants of the earth, John wants you to understand, will worship the beast, except those whose names have not, uh, I'm sorry, all those who have been not been written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the book you're in. He who has an ear, let him hear. You know why that's there? When you see that in the Bible, that's, listen up, this is really important. He who has an ear, let him hear. In the, in the Gospels, when you see Jesus say, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I tell you, that's another one of those, listen up, this is really important. He who has an ear, let him hear. This is the bad news but not really. Verse 10, if anyone is to go into captivity, meaning if you're a Christian and they arrest you, Antichrist, might you go to prison? If anyone is to go into, into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If anyone's to be killed with the sword, that's capital punishment by a government, with the sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient and endurance and faithfulness on the part of the who? Saints. Ouch martyrs special honor for those who the antichrist people show up and say we're going to kill you unless you renounce jesus and christianity and you say forget it go ahead i believe in the lord jesus christ and in his death for my and sacrifice for my sin and his resurrection all you're going to do is make me go right to heaven go ahead aim right here right sounds morbid but that beats the heck out of, okay, okay, I don't believe. The early apostles, 11 of the 12, were killed because they were Christians. All they had to do was say, okay, okay, we made it up. He didn't rise from the dead. We don't believe in him. Leave us alone. And they would have let him alone. And you know what they all said? Sorry, I know what I know. Okay, um, another beast, that's the false prophet. I'm skipping down in chapter 13 because we can't spend the whole time here. Um, 
he gives breath to the image of the beast and makes it talk. And uh, that's verse uh, 15. And everybody who doesn't worship the image will be killed. Here it comes, verse 16. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. And let him calculate the number of the beast, 666. What does that mean? I don't know. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God. It's a trinity of sixes, right? It's not quite perfection. It is, um, there's some way of calculating this. The Jews used letters in the Hebrew alphabet as numbers. So um, there have been all kinds of ways to count letters and assign values and divide by 16 and multiply by 11 and come up with, I, I remember hearing this, um, people that were alive during World War II, some Christians thought Hitler was the Antichrist and the swastika was the mark of the beast and the Mussolini was the false prophet. Wrong. He's dead. Uh, in the 80s, I had somebody tell me Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist. Six letters in each name. 666. Come on. He's the Antichrist. Wrong. Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Henry Kissinger, Joe Chirino. Who knows, right? Until you see somebody take over the whole world and start getting a little ego problem, we won't really know, right? Is he alive now? I don't know. Maybe, right? About to come to power, or maybe it's 800 years from now. Okay, let's keep rolling. Antichrist. Um, I'm going to skip that verse, but it's in the notes. The rapture of the church. There's so many other verses we could go to, but just understand that it's a snatching away of believers. There are Christians that believe the rapture occurs before the tribulation. Like I said, I hope they're right. Some believe in the middle, pre-wrath or in the middle, right before Antichrist really goes off, God takes us out. The majority, the virtual unanimous view of the Christian church until 1830, okay, that's a long time, was that the church goes through the tribulation. Why warn us about something? Jesus, in one chapter of John, I think it's four or five times, says that everyone who believes, I will raise him up on the what day? last. I will raise him up seven years before the, the last day, right? I could go on and on why I believe the church goes through the tribulation. Um, I didn't always believe this. I, I put out records in the 1980s. I'm a musician. The first record I put out was called The Thief in the Night, and it was pre-tribulation. I totally believed it. Hal Lindsey, yes, we're going home before they ever... I don't believe it now uh, for a ton of reasons I won't go into now. Okay, end times, the great tribulation. We've covered the antichrist. We've covered a little bit anyway of the rapture of the church. If you get the notes emailed to you at the end of the Bible study, about an hour after it's over, you're going to get every document that I'm teaching from and the notes. Okay, and there's a bunch of attachments on that email. Um, so don't think you have to take notes that uh, copiously. Uh, we already talked about that and that. Okay, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, 
Whatever view you have on the rapture, praise God, right? The important thing is, it's all going to pan out the way God wants it to pan out. The pan trib theory, right? Number two, the important thing is, he's definitely coming back, okay? Zechariah chapter 14 says, he, Jesus Christ, will come back and his feet will set down on the Mount of Olives. Acts chapter one, guess where he is? On the Mount of Olives with his disciples. He's risen from the dead and he's about to check out. He's going to just ascend to heaven. You remember that? Acts chapter one, right around verse eight, nine, 10, 11. And he goes up and they watch him go into the clouds physically until they can't see him anymore. And they're standing there like idiots, all looking up. And suddenly two angels appear right here and say, hey, why are you standing there looking up? This same Jesus you saw go up is going to come back, listen, the same way. The pre-tribulation and mid-tribulation rapture is an invisible coming. And yet the Bible says, Revelation 1 and elsewhere, every eye will see him. Okay? Um, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. The pre-trib and mid-trib rapture require two comings, two second comings. Wait, second coming? Oh, a second and a third coming. I'm getting a headache. There's only one second coming. The rapture occurs at the same time of this, as the second coming. I believe he grabs all believers, dead ones first, live ones, and we go up to meet him in the air, turn around and come down to the earth where we come to the next thing, which is the millennium, which is a whole nother can of worms, may I just say. But the second coming, you'll get all the verses, Zechariah 10, uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah 12, of course, Matthew 24. Oh, let's go to Matthew 24 just for a second. We have time and they won't fire me for doing this. Matthew 24. By the way, there are some really good, brilliant scholars that don't agree with me. They think the rapture occurs before the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation, or they have differing views on the millennium. The point is we shouldn't divide over these things. We can discuss them. We're all believers. Amen. If somebody tells you Jesus isn't the Christ, he didn't rise from the dead, now we got a problem, right? That's a reason to divide. Who cares what these views are? All right, go to Matthew 24. Jesus is going to talk about the end times. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but there's a tribulation coming, okay? Um, and he says in verse 21 of Matthew 24, um, for then there will be great distress. It's the word tribulation. Listen to this. How bad will it be, Jesus? Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. The worst period of human suffering in the history of the world. About half the world's population or more dies, listen, during the seven-year tribulation. Wow. At the same time that Antichrist is warring against Christians and Jews, God is pouring out wrath on the earth. Okay. You say, wait, is he going to burn me? No. Um, gosh, I don't want to go into all that, but okay. Let's keep reading Matthew 24. So we just heard there's a distress, a great tribulation. Skip down to verse 29. Notice the time marker. Immediately what after the tribulation or distress of those days. When, Matthew? Immediately after. 
the tribulation, something's going to happen. I want to ask you, what does it sound like? Watch. I'll show you. It's the, it's the second coming and the rapture. Watch. What's going to happen, Jesus? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, wait, what time? After the tribulation, right? The son of man, the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will what? See Jesus coming in the clouds. The same way he went? Yes, Acts 1. They'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Please notice the word clouds, okay? Please notice the word see, visible coming. Do you see that? Coming with great power and glory. Okay, that's the second coming, Joe. I didn't see the rapture. Keep reading. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Remember angels, trumpet. Will you remember that? And they will gather, rapture, his elect, his chosen, from the four winds, from the from one end of heaven, of the heavens to the other. Four winds refers to the earth. For uh, one end of heaven to the other refers to the ones that have already died. He's going to gather all his believers. When was that again? After the tribulation. If Jesus is teaching about the end times, he, he made a mistake. He forgot to talk about the rapture before the tribulation. You can read Matthew 24. It ain't in there. Now go to 1 Thessalonians again. Very quickly. I feel like I'm a used car salesman with my positions here. Um, but I feel strongly about it. I, can, I think you can tell. Go to 1 Thessalonians again, where all those books start with T, if you will. 1 Thessalonians. Um, and go to chapter, uh, let's see, mm -hmm, 4 is what we want. Mm, the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, in verse 16. There's the, the rapture. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. That's a shout. With the voice of the archangel, this is the rapture. Ask any preacher or person, they'll tell you oh, that's the rapture. Notice the key words I made you remember. What are they? The Lord himself, visible, will come down from heaven with a loud shout. Voice of an archangel, angels, with the what? Trumpet call of God. Starting to sound like Matthew 24 to you? And the dead in Christ will rise first, same as Matthew 24, a resurrection. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up to them and we'll meet them. Um, let's see. Uh, we already talked about that. Uh, go quickly to first, Thess to first Corinthians. So take a left and go about five, I'll say seven books to the left. First Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. But in that chapter is the rapture as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Those of you on Zoom, say amen. I'm looking for your mouths moving. I'm seeing waving. Okay, I saw you, Ken and Debbie. Okay, and Francine. Good. Okay, um, let's see. Oh, we got, wow, we have 68 screens. That could be a record on Zoom. All right. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we won't all be dead and that's it. But we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. At, and when will that be, Paul? Notice the key words. At the last 
trumpet. Now, do you know there are seven trumpets in the book of Revelation? If this is before the tribulation, then it's not the last trumpet, is it? At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, a resurrection. Imperishable will all be changed. Um, let's see. I'm skipping down a bit. Um, okay, so that looks like that's it, but it's not. Now, earlier in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, go to verse 20. For Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. When, Paul, please say it so we know. Each, verse 23, in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, he already rose. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. That's the second coming. You say, wait, how do you know that? That could be the rapture. And then there's seven more years. Read the next verse. Let me read that verse again, 22. Uh, no, 23. Each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then what happens, verse 24? Verse 24. Then a seven-year tribulation will occur. Is that what it says? Not in my Bible. Then the what? Then the end will come. Period. No, perfect time for Paul to go, then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation, but you're going to miss the whole thing. Don't worry about it. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion. Okay, the rapture. Again, if you're pre-trib, God bless you. I hope you're right. My pre-trib friends always tell me, we'll explain it to you on the way up. I hope, I hope they're right. I don't want to see Antichrist. The second coming is a sure thing. Okay, now let's talk about the millennium in the remaining time, and we don't have a lot of time. Millennium means a thousand years. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. Okay, Revelation 20, three chapters before the end. Revelation chapter 20. This is after the second coming. This is after the rapture. This is after Antichrist, which was chapter 13 and 12, a little bit. Chapter 20 of Revelation. Are you there? Say amen. amen. And I saw an angel come down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil. That's how we know the dragon's the devil. Satan bound him for how long, class? A thousand years. Now, do you think John understood the words a really long time? He could have said a really long time, but he chose to say how long? A thousand years. Remember, all the other prophecies came through literally. Why allegorize this? Okay. And bound him for a thousand years. Satan was bound for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. It sounds like a thousand years to me. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And then there's thrones that are set on them. Um, um, and they, uh, they were seated, those who'd been given authority to judge. 
I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. They didn't get the mark on their forehead or their hands. So this is after the tribulation. It has to be, right? These are martyrs. These are the people that said, no, I'm not taking that mark. You can kill me. I believe in Jesus. Go ahead. Chop my head off. The rest of the dead didn't come back to life until the thousand years were ended. Look at the next, ver next line in verse 5. This is the what? First resurrection. When is this? After the tribulation. If there was a resurrection seven years before, before the tribulation started, John's wrong. Jesus is wrong. I don't think so. This is the first resurrection. Well, you see, before that, there was the first, first resurrection. Come on. Blessed are those who have part in the first resurrection. Look at verse 7. When the thousand years are over, does it sound like a thousand years to you, or am I the only one here? Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. They're like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadths of the earth. They're going to have a revolution against Jesus, who was reigning on the earth for a literal 1,000 years. You got the picture? Okay. Fire came down and devoured him. The devil was thrown into the lake of fire, period. They're done. Then there's a huge judgment of unbelievers starting in verse 11. What's your point, Joe? The idea of a millennium, okay, is that there are four views. Okay. And I'm, on the, I'm in the wrong document. Hold on. I'll figure this out. There we go. Okay. The millennium. What is it? What isn't it? Okay. There's four views. The view I've been giving you is premillennialism, the idea that it's a literal thousand years, okay? And it occurs after the tribulation. See the on this thing, the green line, and on mine here, um, you don't see it on the diagram that's behind me, but it would be after second coming that you see coming down this way right there. It would be more over on that side. Uh, confusing for you folks, right? Okay. Premillennium, uh, the premillennial view says that Christ will return right before and start a thousand year reign where he will reign physically on the earth as king of the earth because it's his, right? Um, let's see. The Satan will be bound for those thousand years, okay? Um, the two camps in premillennialism are this, basically. Um, the only division is historical premillennialism is what I am. Rapture occurs same time as the second coming. Jesus reigns for a thousand years. After that, there's the eternal state where there's a new Jerusalem, heaven and earth uh, sort of come, come together and we live forever with Christ. Okay. Um, dis dispensational premillennialism teaches, yes, there's a literal thousand years. Okay. But God has two different people, the Jews and the church, okay? I believe God has one people. It was Israel. It still is, but they're apostate. Now the church has been grafted in, and the Jews who believe in Jesus will be saved. Listen, whether you're Jewish or you're Irish or even Italian, there's only one way to get saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus. The Jews don't have this other way of getting saved. Um, 
Okay, so they believe there's the pre-trib rapture before the tribulation, and they believe that the uh, that the millennium is uh, really more for the Jews than it is for the Christians. But it's pretty much the same view. Okay, then there's post-millennialism. This is a real minority view. I won't go into it much. Um, the post-millennial view is really, really, really optimistic. Post-millennialism um, says that um, there's some thousand-year period or long time, and we might be in it now. To which I say, really? Satan's bound now? Have you read the newspaper and looked at television? Okay, I don't mean to make light of it. Okay, they believe that Christians will usher in the kingdom and the world, listen, this is optimistic, man. I hope they're right. The world is going to get better and better and better. And more and more people are going to become Christians until we take the world over. When that happens, at the end of that time period, Jesus shows up. And the church will have evangelized the world. And your, your neighbors that you think they will never believe, they're going to believe. It's all going to get better. I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. Amillennialism. We have a, at least a few amillennialists in this room right now. Okay. Amillennial, ah, means no. Millennium. But that's a misnomer because amillennialists do believe in a millennium um, and that Jesus will return, listen, after the millennium. And the millennium is not a thousand years for most amillennialists. It is an indeterminate period of time. And Christ is reigning now in heaven, which is true. But when you look at all the scriptures, and I don't have time to go into them, um, about the millennium, uh, it doesn't sound like it's happening now. They sound to me like they're happening on the earth, the millennium. Um, let's see. Some uh, millennials believe things will get worse. Some believe it'll get better. Like the post-millennial people will go, uh, believe I, I should say, um, the millennium is basically the period. See where it says church age uh, on the diagram behind me and over here that for an amillennialist, that is the millennium. Jesus, the millennium started when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. He's reigning in heaven. What do you want? I'll tell you what I want. I want all the rest of the scriptures to be fulfilled. The ones that say Jesus will reign on the earth and we will reign with him. Who are they reigning over in heaven? It's all believers. Um, the whole point of all this is that Jesus Christ is the rightful owner of planet earth. Okay. And it fits nicely, I think, with him reigning on planet earth earth after the second coming. He defeats Antichrist, the last of the human empires. I'm rushing here. Sorry. Okay. Why do we need a millennium? Because there's promises to the Jews that he'll gather the, the people of Israel back to Israel and they'll accept Jesus and he'll greatly expand their numbers and their land and make them the prime nation in all the world. It hasn't happened yet. Israel's not the prime nation in the world. I mean, the world powers, you could say U.S., China, Russia, you know, there's maybe others. Um, Cuba. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, 
I will save you that you may become a blessing. Uh, let's see. Promises to the church. We're supposed to reign over all the nations of the world. Are we? No. Are they the ones that have passed away in heaven? Reigning over all the nations? No. Hasn't happened yet. Um, if we endure, we shall also reign with Jesus, uh, the book of Revelation says. They will reign, listen to this, Revelation 5.10. You have made them, believers, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign, listen, upon the earth. Seems pretty clear to me. Uh, blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. Um, let's see, there's promises of worldwide peace to the nations where the nations will hammer their swords into plowshares during the uh, millennium. Hasn't happened. No more weapons. No, they're building more nuclear weapons, especially in Iran, right? Don't get me started. Okay. And, uh, and in the millennium, nation will not lift sword against nation. Never again will they learn war. Satan doesn't look like he's bound to me right now. Um, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Isaiah 11. I don't see that happening uh, yet. Um, even the bells and on the bridles of horses and the pots in the kitchen will bear the inscription, holy to the Lord. Meaning it's just widespread. I don't see it happening now. I see it happening during the millennium. Um, let's see. How about Isaiah 11.9? Carnivorous animals, animals will become uh, herbivorous, meaning they won't uh, eat meat. I'm not pronouncing these words right. 11.6 of Isaiah. Um, cobras won't be poisonous. The child will play at the nest of the cobra. I wouldn't try that now. Um, yeah. Uh, promises to Jesus. He will be give, given dominion over the whole world and he'll reign over all the nations from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, not from heaven. Um Okay, we get the point, Joe. Move on. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, we already talked about that. I'm still reading notes here. Um, is Jesus reigning in heaven? Absolutely. Is he Lord of Lords, King of Kings? Absolutely. But in 1 Corinthians, is Satan the God of this world? Yes, but not forever. Um, let's see. We already talked about that. Um, yeah. Um, some have said, this is a weak argument, but I'm going to throw it in at no extra charge if you order now. No, I'm just kidding. Some have said that it sort of fits nicely that there's six days of creation. You with me? And then a seventh day, that's a rest day for God. Remember, six days work, one day rest. We're with you so far, Joe. Good. Now, biblically speaking, I'm not subscribing to this time frame, but if you use the years of the Bible, it's roughly 4,000 years from creation, Noah, Moses, Abraham, all that, all the way up to um, the coming of, of when Jesus was born, okay? 4,000 BC, roughly. Go with me on this for now. That's four, uh, 4,000. You with me? It's now been how many years since Jesus died? Almost 2,000. You with me? Peter says in one of his epistles, unto the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Wouldn't it be interesting if that time frame was right and there's 4,000 years before Christ, 2,000 afterwards, that's 6,000 years. 
and a seventh 1,000-year period where Jesus reigns on the earth, millennium. Is that how it's going to be? I don't know. Tough teaching this stuff, because if you're honest, how many times have I said, I don't know tonight? Eight or ten? Yeah. Then, what do you know? Not very much. Okay. Um, we're going to pray because we're just about out of time. Um, let's see. Those of you that are here, the most important thing is make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's the most important thing. Bible studies like churches can get clicky and you just sit with your three people and it's us four and no more. Talk to other people. Say hello. Um, and there'll be a test on their names next week. The rest of you on Zoom, thank you so much for being here. If you have a question or you want the notes, just email me and say, I want the notes and all these documents you're talking about, and I'll send them to you. Um, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thank you all for being here. And those of you on Zoom too, God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we're not left in the dark about the future, just wondering what's going to happen. You've given us enough clues what you wanted us to know. We know, God, we know that you win in the end. Jesus wins. We win. Despite it looking hopeless, there's tremendous hope. And despite our lives of pain, of sadness at times, of sickness at times, the end for every single believer is absolutely awesome and glorious. So what do we have to worry about, Lord? In the end, it all works out. We win right along with you and reign with you. We can't wait to see you, Father. We can't wait to see you, Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, there's work to be done and there's people that don't know. Help us to be your hands and your mouth and your feet and to spread the word of the gospel with boldness. Thank you for this truth, Father. And lastly, Lord, I, I pray that no one would be offended if they believe something different than what I've said tonight. These are all issues we can discuss and disagree on. The main things are the plain things. Jesus died for our sins. You love us, God, and have provided a way for us to live with you forever, free of the guilt, free of sin. We praise you, Father. Use us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. And those of you on Zoom, thank you. I'm going to turn my screen off. God bless you. Thanks for being here.